stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which I, is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen If you put a paper-like on there, and these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products, it also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. Catching it up with the boys from Ajax. Talking about issues. 
from that dollar box and back issues. Oh, I'm grinning. I'm grinning like a little baby over here. That's on Broadway's great song, everybody. Matt, how are you? It's Comics Catch-Up. It is Comics Catch-Up. And we're doing a new series. I'm doing great, by the way, Chris. I hope you're doing well. I'm I'm so exhausted. Uh, as you know, I got well, we, I did a con this past weekend, I, and it was daylight savings time. That's right. I visited you at the con, but I did not I did not table up. I realized once I got home that I was drinking about a third of the amount of water that I usually drink, and drinking twice as much coffee. So I am out of it most of the day. Understood. Uh, well, t- take care of yourself, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I, I'm good now. I've got... I don't know if you can hear that. That's my water. All right. Well, yeah, stay hydrated. We're doing a new series here on Comics Catch-Up. We're doing the first half of the 34 Chris Claremont-written issues of Excalibur. 34, huh? 34. Uh, so we've okay. read. We've currently read 19 through the end of the Cross-Time Caper storyline. Um, because you, the listeners, voted for us to read the Claremont Davis Excalibur. Uh, we're only reading the, the Chris Claremont written parts, even though your friend and co-writer Chad Bowers, my friend too, uh, mm-hmm. suggested that we just read the Alan Davis stuff. It's It's been recommended to me by a couple of people. Like uh, Benito told me, he was like, oh, hey, like... Number 42 is where you should start, because that's that's where the really good stuff is. That's that's the start of the just Alan Davis writing and drawing run on Excalibur. There is weirdly a Scott Lobdell, Joe Quesada run uh, just bef- between Claremont and Davis coming back to write and draw. All right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like something. That's that's certainly something. Uh, one's got a big old Wonder Man on the cover. I know you love that. Oh boy, oh boy. So, Chris, we've actually talked about Excalibur a little bit when I came to visit you at the con in Greenville mm-hmm. on Saturday. You had not gotten through the end of number nineteen, but we talked about the book a little bit, and we brought up the big question of Excalibur. Yeah, if you want to go ahead and ask that big question, Matt. The big question that we are going to try our best to answer is, who's hornier, Chris Claremont or Alan Davis? It's Alien versus Predator, man. (laughs) Whoever wins. Whoever wins, we lose. (laughs) This is a shockingly horny comic book. It's so horny. And I mean, you know it's going to be a little horny going in. You've seen Rachel Summers' costume. Which, yeah. in, in one of the best jokes in the book, uh, when uh, she and Kitty are tied up, one of many times that, that happens, mm-hmm. uh, Kitty escapes by kind of wiggling out of her boots, you know, so you can see her bare feet. And uh, Rachel makes a joke about how uh, she's like, yeah, I'd do that, but my boots go all the way up to my neck. Which is pretty funny. But I mean... That that costume is the the level of horniness that's in this book. The thing I said when we were talking about it was it it would be fine. Like all the horniness would be 
totally super fine if you didn't constantly have the thought, oh, right, Kitty is 15. If it, if it didn't rem- insist on reminding you. And see, I, and I know, I have a theory on where all of that comes from. And it's, it's not the, the obvious answer, <laughs> which, is, which is the mod. <laughs> well, our, uh, Chad, to mention Chad again, said that it's Chris Claremont who is definitely hornier. Even though Alan Davis is, is visualizing all of it, he's doing all the stuff where Megan is turning into a hot blue furry lady. Because yeah, we do see Megan's persona. She this, which is she gets horny for Nightcrawler in a danger room exercise, <laughs> and uh, Kitty is undressed numerous times. Numerous times. Uh, there's also a weird moment where uh, Rachel Summers Phoenix is out of the lighthouse that is the Excalibur headquarters. Boy, and turns uh, Kitty Pride into. A, uh, a, a, a an ABDL, an ABDL, a, a baby, uh-huh. an adult baby, in a bassinet, which I know is not intended to be horny; is it's intended to be funny. But as but we live in a world where, a world where I can just drop ABDL on you, unfortunately. As or you know, not I'm not going to say unfortunately. Chase, chase your bliss; you ain't hurting anybody. As the internet has made it more than clear, it's somebody's finish. Matt, I want to give you some general thoughts before we get into specifics. Okay. I will say I am grateful to Excalibur 1 through 19. Because they, these issues, have given me the chance to go back into the archives and uh, get get out of, like, like when, when Ice Cube got out of his Raiders hat uh-huh. in that Lil John video, uh-huh. I, I, I went up into the attic. And I pulled out the box and I dusted it off and I pulled out that panel of Jack Crack from Superfuckers. Because, <laughs> Matt, uh, it sucks, it's stupid, and I hate it. It's not for me. I, just, I know a lot of people like this book. I'm, I'm shocked that you have such a strong reaction to it. I do not like it. Like, it's okay. The arcade story's good. There's some interesting stuff going on here. The cross time caper is nine issues long and is the pits. It's I think reading the cross time caper in 2019 takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of the of the cross time caper, where it's a much more original idea. It's a much more original idea in 1989 or 1990 than in a, a a time period where we have had an entire series about a team that's whole deal is going from alternate universe to alternate universe. Yeah, look, it, it's a good premise. There's good ideas. None of the execution is good in the cross time caper, which I will, again is I, it does, almost half of what we read. Yeah, it does fall apart by the last couple issues. I I like when they go to the the kind of like medieval. Great Britain, even though it's 1989 in that Great Britain? Oh, I hated it. You didn't like that? No, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, I hated it because there's a part where uh, everybody's hanging out, and they're like, yeah, wow, this this crazy alternate universe, this weird world that we've landed up on, where they have magic. 
that's just the stuff of fantasy where we come from, says fucking Captain Britain and I, Megan. Okay, yes. Okay. They just, Matt, that's like three issues after Inferno. Uh-huh. Which is where hell is around. In New York City. In New York City. Yeah. Okay, I point taken. Okay. I was furious. But that's one line in a whole story. That I think You're- is kind of clever. Like, the whole idea of there being this prince. The whole notion that, like, the the ogre that, quote-unquote, captures Kitty at the beginning of the issue is actually working for this princess who wants to marry the prince. But then the prince ends up marrying that universe's version of Kitty. Like, all of that is... Is clever. Yeah, I mean, Chris Claremont's D and D game is great. It, I will, look, I will concede that. Look, you're again, you're not wrong. <laughs> but uh, he, the the stuff with the the alternate universe Avengers, I think, is fun. The, the um, wait, the the comedy world. Yeah, the comedy world, the Impossible Man world. Well, okay, here's the problem with the with the the comedy world. Captain America getting turned into a Deathlock. Yeah. That's some Jason Aaron shit that I would be really excited about. <laughs> it doesn't get expl- – none of it gets explored. Yeah, but that, that issue is so – but that issue is so tonally weird, right? Because, like, the, the Rick Jones stuff is obvious. Like, the Rick Jones stuff is actually really funny. I will, I will give the book that. But, like, it, it goes back and forth between being, like, a really funny, like, what the kind of thing – and being like ruins. <laughs> like the giant man stuff is like kind of mega depressing. I mean, some of it is it it's it is weird tonally. That yeah, that is gets, definitely right. Cause some of it's just funny and some of it is like actually sad. Yeah, and it starts out like they they go to that planet on like what page, like page eight or nine? And pages 8 and 9 are way more serious than it ends up being on, like, pages 20 and 21. That's fair. I understand that that we're... I don't know. I feel like we're maybe being a little too hard on this book that's just supposed to be a fun, funny comic. Okay, well, that's my second second big issue. Okay. Okay? Uh, Like, I... I think a lot of the reason that that I didn't have a good time reading this was because I have seen comics that I think are better, or that, that at the very least I enjoyed more doing a lot of these ideas. Like, uh, I I like that uh, Busick and Perez story where, uh, where it's um, Morgan Le Fay takes over the world and all the Avengers are like medieval times Avengers. I think that's a really fun story. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, Busick and Perez are... are in terms of skill, writers that I would, or uh, creators that I would put right up against a Chris Claremont and an Alan Davis, you know, I don't think Claremont and Davis are measurably worse than Busick and Perez in general. That's stuff that obviously came much later. The big problem is that this book suffers by comparison to the book it's trying to be, which is JLI. This book is. St- it, it comes out a year after JLI, and it's very, very clearly Marvel's JLI. 
where the Justice League's like the funny book, but they don't want to do that with like Avengers or or the actual X Men because you know the X Men are, are doing some weird Australia stuff. Yeah, but they're gonna they're gonna do they'll they'll create a weird wacky offshoot that's gonna have funny. Uh, adventures and funny villains and and have some kind of slapstick stuff and some some soap opera stuff and it's going to be really horny because don't forget JLI is really horny and Excalibur is too. I was just flipping through the uh, the Warlord issue, which is number sixteen. That's that's horny by like Warlord like Warlord of Mars standards. If if your deal is uh, some ladies and some skimpy metal armor get all up in that because or if your fetish is uh dresses that don't have sides that's your issue <laughs> yeah man especially on 15 year old kitty fried yeah there is an inevitable comparison because again you know jli or, or you know it starts as justice league that starts in 1987 it starts right after Crisis, right? Yeah. Excalibur starts in 1988. They're on the shelves at the same time. They are contemporary books to the month. And JLI does this bit, does this shtick, ten times better. And I am not usually, like, like this is the complete opposite of the, the side that I'm usually on, right? Like, I'm the guy who's like, hey, the Teen Titans are trash because they just want to be the X-Men. And that's the Claremont book too. Like it's, I, I I think there is, and I know that it's 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 not necessarily a competition, except that at the time it very was, it very much was a real competition. You can go back and and enjoy both of these runs now, but you can't help comparing them, and Excalibur suffers for that comparison. I do think it's weird that this is ostensibly the Captain Britain book, right? Captain Britain mm-hmm. is. Nominally the lead character of Excalibur. He he certainly brings the team together, right? Mm-hmm. And he is such an afterthought in this book. A weird thing about this book is that except Kitty, who constantly mentions that she is, like, something's happening with her powers where her natural state is phased. Yeah. And she actually has to concentrate to, like, turn material. Yeah. I can't tell you what anyone else's power is in this book. I can't like I know Megan shapeshifts, but is yeah. that her power? Yes, that's her like, power. But but she can also she can, can she fly? She flies at some point. Like she does, yeah. And she turns into all the X Men at some point. Yeah, Megan's powers are also like that. I mean, one of the problems in nailing nailing that down, which I don't necessarily think is this book's fault, is that everybody's powers are a little off in here. Like, Nightcrawler can only teleport once before he feels groggy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Britain loses his super strength, uh, particularly when they leave England, which I think is really funny. Yeah, you and I talked about that yesterday. That's one of the really good bits in the book. When they go to New York, Captain America... Or when they go to New York, Captain Britain starts immediately losing his powers. Which I think is is clever, and it's also understated, which is the only thing in this book that's understated. Yeah, I mean, one of the only really good Captain Britain moments in the whole book is when he's trying to save people in New York and his powers aren't working. Mm -hmm. And he has to get, like, a cab. (laughs) Yes. Like, that stuff's pretty funny. 
And that's that's the most Blue Beetle and Booster Gold stuff. Sure. Yeah. But like even, you know, with Phoenix, she's she's losing control of her powers. Which I you know, I think is an ongoing plot point. It's that Claremont long plotting. Mm-hmm. Long plan po- plotting stuff because I mean we also have Widget. Widget shows up in issue one, panel one. You know, can I be a hundred percent real with you, Matt? You may. I'm going to get up real, real close on the mic for this one, Matt. I fucking hate Widget. <laughs> now, what specifically do you dislike about Widget? Literally everything. The the the. Dimension hopping powers? Yeah. <laughs> like, why does there need to be a dude? Because here's the thing. Widget's a plot device. Yeah. But he also talks. It also talks, I guess. It's it's a it's a weird robot head that looks like a frog. It's I don't know why I'm assigning gender to it. But it's it it, it has the, the warlock speech patterns. Yeah. And which, which is are, weird because warlock shows up at one point in this. And and let me tell you something, self friend. I anger hate that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, but then it also doesn't make sense because the fr- you know page one panel one of Excalibur number one, we see Widget being worked on by the the weird guy who turns out to be Arcade's henchman, who is like this mechanical genius, right? Right. Yeah. Like, he builds the machine that, that swaps out everybody with their villains. The Tweedle, with the bad guys. Tweedledum-looking guy, yeah. Yes. Who, whose name might be Tweedledum. I think, or maybe it's, it's Tweedledoofus. I, I think it's something like that. Yeah. But then it's clearly something else. Because then it, like, ties into, like, the Saturnine stuff. It, it feels very much like it's a plot device that's introduced in a very... In the thing that I always want to do, and like, <laughs> like editors or say co-writers won't let me, which is I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah put it in. We'll explain it later. <laughs> and then it, it it never quite gets explained. I I mean I think that happens uh, for sure, but at the same time, it it does feel like a lot of this is planned. Like, I feel like the first issue... I feel like the first issue of this book is very... I don't know. I feel like it's well-constructed, even if the payoffs aren't exactly everything that you want. But, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff in here that sets up the next two, three years' worth of issues, you know? Like yeah, like all the stuff with Widget, like setting up Arcade's henchmen. I don't guess Technet is here yet. Matt. Yeah? I'm real close up on the mic to talk about Technet. <laughs> and I think you know what that means. <laughs> what do you have to say about Technet? Not a fan. Now, I, Technet does appear in the Excalibur... What is it that like the Excalibur special or whatever it is? I, I think it was a was it a Marvel graphic novel? It was it was a I think just a one shot, uh, uh, but it's not available on Marvel Unlimited, so we weren't. Yeah, we able did to read not it. read that. Yeah, um, 
I'll say I'll say this. I, I mostly like the book. Um, I mostly find it pretty fun. I really enjoy Alan Davis's art. I, I love Alan Davis. Um, there are three things that I would say pull the book down a bit for me. Okay. Uh, oh, also another thing that gets uh, that gets seated in that first issue. This going back is all the Courtney Ross bank stuff, which weirdly becomes a thread through the whole thing. Like you wouldn't yeah. think Excalibur would be a book with an ongoing B plot about bankers, but it is. Yes, it is. Anyway, so the the three things that kind of hurt the book for me a little bit. Number one, inconsistent lettering. Because even within a single issue, the lettering will be different. Which maybe in, in a single issue in a given month is not that big of a deal. But when you're reading 19 issues of a book back to back, you notice it, my man. Yeah, and especially because it's it starts like all X Men books of its era. It starts with with Tom Morzakowski, yeah, who is great, like yeah. all all timer, one of the best, like Morzakowski and Workman, best letters ever. Yeah, um, but we, even within a single issue, it'll be Morzakowski letters, which are very identifiable, and then kind of more standard issue comic book lettering. Which I think that might be some different letterers doing that throughout the run, but it's it's a little bit jarring. Uh, by the same token, I think the book gets a lot worse when there are guest artists. Yeah, Not- even when they're they're guest artists that I that I like, this is very much an Alan Davis driven series. Yeah. I think a lot of the identity of the book is wrapped up in Alan Davis. So even though I like. Ron Lim, just fine. Got no issue with Ron Lim. Marshall Rogers can can do a good job. All-timer. There are a couple artists whose name I didn't really recognize. Rick Leonardi is in here, and Rick Leonardi is, like I think, a super underrated artist of like Marvel's 80s and early 90s. Yeah, Leonardi... I like Rick Leonardi a lot. Leonardi does uh, number 19. Uh, an artist named Dennis Jensen does number 18, which is easily the weirdest issue of the pack. because We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, they all become manga characters in it. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like those issues with the guest artists, there is a notable drop in quality in those. Also, there's one story in these 19 issues that um, is bad. And no one should read and should be cut out of trade paperbacks of this book. One, because Alan Davis doesn't draw it. It's it's the Marshall Rogers issues. Uh, two, because it's about uh, Nazi versions of Excalibur, including a Nazi Kitty Pride. Brother. Mm. I, we, weirdly enough... I do not quite have the blanket hatred for that issue that you do. 
I think it's a two issue story. It's it's it it goes for a couple, yeah, because that's where they get their weird dragon power train, right? Uh, that that you don't know it's dragon power because then they figure out how to turn the metal clear, so you can see that it's a dragon. So it clearly wasn't a dragon when that first part came out. But anyway, um, I it's a it's a standard superhero plot, right? Of the the eighties. Like, really, from the 80s up through to today. It's like the, the alternate Earth where the Nazis won. Um, and I think there's interesting ideas in there. I think the Kitty Pride thing is, on one level, interesting. And I, I want to stress, on one level, I think it is interesting. And I think that that it is treated as a horror story, right? Like that that, that is a that that is a a meant to be a truly horrible thing, which which again is a weird tonal issue because this is the funny slapstick book. Um, on several other levels, you are correct, and the, I I was talking to you this weekend, and I was like, can you imagine that coming out today? It wouldn't. Like, it flat out wouldn't I come out. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it. it. Yeah, I mean, it. it's... I don't... I don't 100% agree with you, but I'm like maybe 80% agree with you. I, I, if you're, you're going to read the run, skip it. I think as, I think it, you can you can fix it. I think if, if Kitty, like once Nazi Captain Britain... And Nazi Nightcrawler and Nazi Moira McTaggart all get beaten, all get defeated. There should be a line from Kitty Pride where she says, Thank you, I'm free now, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, they they send her back. They send her back. And there's like like and and like and, and they have to, right? Because if they don't, this book becomes two years of them going and, and it becomes Freedom Fighters. <laughs> yeah. But, like, yeah, they send her back and that's bonkers. Like, she she barely speaks a word. You know? And, and like, Kitty Pride, instead of, like, being mad that they have taken her, a Jewish woman... Or Jewish teenager, and used her to their Nazi ends. Instead, instead is like you made me into a demon, and it's like, is that your takeaway, Kitty? I mean, yes, but like that aspect of it, I'm willing to forgive because Kitty does get very angry. She does. at this, yeah. and like Kitty is the one who's like, we can't let them go back. We need to kill them. <laughs> Which, by the way, Kitty later just straight murders somebody with a sword, and no one remarks on it in this comic. That's true. Uh, but yeah, like, it is it is played very weird, and I, I, I think, I, I think quite obviously, Claremont had this idea of, of doing this, like, really... Get, uh, if you're going to be your most charitable, it is a very upsetting image. 
purposely, I think. Like, there's no way that they're... That, that, it's, I think it's meant to be disturbing, yes. Yeah, it's meant to be a truly horrific thing, and it absolutely is. And then I think... I, I Like, I think it is too horrific and is not resolved in any acceptable fashion. And, and I think I think if you were making this book now, you would think at some point, what am I actually saying here? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And and I'm not sure that thought was there. It was just, oh, I, I'm going to make some bad guys and they're going to be Nazis. Well, I, I think you get the weird. The weirdest part of that is part of the deal of the because the cross time caper really starts with the the Nazi Excalibur showing up from the parallel dimension. Yeah, I mean, the, it, yes, yes, and no. I mean, they're still on regular Earth when it happens, but they are the the people who enable the cross time caper to happen by having the yeah. train. Yeah. It's where the train comes from. It's like the like it's it's the whole thing of like, oh, this is the this is the parallel world. Um that they you know, that starts everything off. If I was gonna, you know, if I was putting these in a paperback, this would all have to start at like number nine or number ten and run through number nineteen. Like that's the one I would call the cross time caper. The weird thing is that they make a big deal about how they never run into another Rachel Summers. In any of these parallel worlds, all of these parallel worlds yeah. have no Rachel Summers. Yeah, because Rachel Summers, like like the Phoenix, is unique in the multiverse, which is hilarious because the Phoenix isn't even unique in the Marvel universe. <laughs> like Earth six one six, like Rachel's the second one. Right. Yeah. But the fact that they, the fact that Claremont is going into this thinking that, and is like. Well, I can't get rid of Phoenix and Kitty. And so instead of just not having Kitty, which I think is... is, If you're going to tell this story, I think that's the easiest easiest way to resolve that, you know? Is to just not have Kitty, and then you have this unspoken thing like, yeah, in this world, there is no Kitty Pride. She's either dead or was never born. Uh... Instead of that, we get the we get no Rachel and the very upsetting Kitty. I think this book is is kind of oddly comparable to Uncanny X Force, which we did in the first two episodes of this show. In that, it. It's. I think it's very up and down in terms of quality. You get one clear authorial voice. Uh, it's definitely better when the main artist on the series is doing the art. And we haven't brought this up. There are a lot of repeated words and phrases. I mean, yeah. You look. If you're listening to this, odds are pretty good that you've read a Chris Claremont comic before. <laughs> A lot of struth, glory. A lot of glory, and a lot of uh, thought balloons in which women, usually Kitty, think about other women and call them cows. Yeah, because the the adult, the David Tennant, which is weird. Uh, the, it, it's very weird that this comic from 1990 that has a 
like a pastiche of Doctor Who in it, and it's the Weird Happenings organization. And and there is a straight up Dalek in one of the issues. Yeah, there's a, there's a Dalek in the in in the Comedy Earth issue. Yeah, uh, that makes a joke about talking to like like the guy uh, Alistair, Alistair Stewart. Yeah, the- which is again a reference to Brigadier General or Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart from Doctor Who. He's the uh, he's the professor, Alistair Stewart. Yeah. Except that, like, it's 1990. He looks exactly like David Tennant's doctor. And the joke in that issue is he's saying to the Dalek, like, no, I'm pretty sure you never met me before. And, like, it, that's weird, right? <laughs> it's a little weird. Like, he has, he's got black hair and not brown hair, but, like, it's very, especially when he first shows up, it's like, it's like they got a fax from the future. <laughs> and they were like, oh, when Doctor Who comes back. Not the first guy, but the second guy is going to be going to be this dude. Also, Kitty has an, a a crush on him that anybody with senses would be able to pick up on, <laughs> and he never does. Yeah, so there's this weird love triangle that's created between him, Kitty, who's got a crush on him, and he's got a crush on Phoenix, and Phoenix is uninterested. Yeah, she's she could not care less about it. Yeah. Um, so it's a love triangle where one of them's 15. It's a little weird. Barely 15. Yeah. As it says in the, uh, in the, uh, not the Excalibur issue. Oof. Yeah. Can we talk about number 18 real quick? Uh, let's talk about number 12 first. Okay. Because I, I want to bring up one particular uh, this is somebody's fetish a horny moment. <laughs> uh, that's when merchant banker Nigel Frobisher, who uh, lost a bet for a million pounds, uh-huh. uh, goes to meet up with Technet. Well, he lost a bet to Courtney Ross. Yeah, he lost a bet to who, Courtney Ross for a million who's pounds. Who's actually Saturnine? Correct. Uh, but he, uh, he goes to Technet on her behalf. To try to uh, pay them off to find Jamie Braddock. And Technet decides to to kind of fuck with him a little bit, right? Uh, Before he makes his request. Mm -hmm. And so they turn him into his boss, Courtney Ross. And there's a a few moments where he has like a, a very muscular body. Which is weird because he's not muscular, but they kind of make him into Captain Britain, I guess. Well, he has like there's a character called Joy Boy, yeah, who's a big naked baby in a in a floating chair, Modoc chair, yeah. And he has the power to reach into your brain and make your heart's desire reality, but in a twisted way. And his heart's desire is to be like you know a a Superman. And the interesting thing is, this is very clearly. Uh, weirdly enough, you can go look at Excalibur number 12. It's Alan Davis referencing the same picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger that Rob Liefeld would later reference to draw the infamous Captain America. That's, it's exactly the same pose and everything, yeah. Yeah. So it's – like he, he wants to be like a big, strong muscle man and also to be with Courtney? That seems or, right. Or be her. Or be her. I, I think I – think- Kind of both are implied. Yeah, well, because he wa- he wants to be 
he wants to like have her ruthlessness and her skill at business. And so he becomes a Hulk. Like he hulks out into like Arnold Schwarzenegger body. Then he turns into to Courtney. Like he hulks down and then into he's, Courtney. And then he's both. And then he's both. So he's he looks like a powerful business lady in a big muscle body. Yeah, but like like literally one half of his head is like the Courtney Ross face. And then like one half of his chest is the Courtney Ross chest, and one of his legs is the Courtney Ross leg. It's it's a hell of a thing to describe in a script. I look, kudos to Alan Davis for pulling this off. It is a wild visual. It is. It's a. Uh, it's. It is. Okay. Now you wanted to talk about number eighteen. <laughs> yeah. So number eighteen is the Speed Racer issue, yeah. right? Where they go to, they go to Speed Racer World. That they go to the the dimension that's where everyone's just racing. Speed all the time. Speed Racer slash Dirty Pair World. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Dirty Pair shows up, and they're called the they're called the Dirty Angels, right? Uh, I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, well, because the deal with the dirty pair is that their official code name is the Lovely Angels, but everybody calls them the the dirty pair. And so in this, they're called the the dirty angels. And then Claremont comes in to elbow you with caption box, and it's like, what a lovely pair. And it's so weird because again, this is 1990, and the first Adam Warren. Uh, Dirty Pair comic was out in late 88, early 99. Or late 88, early 89. So it's it's Claremont referencing an Adam Warren comic and then uh, then getting Dennis Jansen to, to draw them like to draw like straight up the dirty pair in this and then start drawing the Excalibur characters manga style, but only sometimes. Yeah. It's like this weird effect of this universe that makes them anime, but only sometimes. Yeah. Whereas I think there's a much, there's a much less complicated way to do this. Like that's the thing. It's bonkers complicated. This the is the issue paper, like, goes fully out, like out of it, it takes the simplest concept in the world and makes it unreadably co- complicated. It is hard to get through cuz there's like in this issue there's like nine panels on every page. Yeah, this is the issue where I kind of just gave up. <laughs> um I, I ended up just kind of skimming uh the last half of this issue. Yeah, cuz at one point Megan turns into a a bird. I think it's supposed to be a phoenix, but it's just like a, a big eagle. And then Captain Britain beats it up. And he's like, oh no, I beat up Megan. And then in the next issue, Megan turns into all the all the X-Men and has yeah. all their powers. Yeah, the next issue is less confusing to me because it's just Excalibur fighting an evil Jamie Braddock. But in in 18, Jamie Braddock is like he is Speed Racer. He is the racing champion of this world, but he's never manga. He's never manga. He's always just, just regular Western comics. Jimmy Braddock. He looks like Magnum PI. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like 
in number 19, the, like, it, it ceases to become alternate dimensions. Because at one point, Megan blows up the moon. True. And, and Jamie Braddock, who has the reality warping powers, like, destroys all the stars. And then it turns out that it's, like, Jamie Braddock playing with his action figures. But, like, for real? It's, it is, like, look, I've read the Alan Moore, Alan Davis, Captain Britain. I get it. Like, I, I am, I am, I understand that comic. I understand what Jamie Braddock's deal is. I like Jamie Braddock as a character. Um, this is difficult to parse. All right, so that's numbers one through nineteen of Excalibur. Um, I, I feel like we were a little hard on it. I, I think, th- weirdly enough, for the second time, I think I like the book more than you. Yeah, you liked it. I, I, I definitely think you liked it more than me. Like, if it if it was up to me, I would not read the next sixteen issues. I think it's it's twenty through thirty four, so it's fifteen. Yeah, I I would I would take a hard pass. And I don't know why people recommended that I read this. I I wonder if we're going to find out people meant, oh, we meant actually just Alan Davis by himself, just the Alan Davis solo run. I I mean, look, it's entirely possible. And I fu- I fully believe, but people specifically said Claremont Davis when we uh when when I asked for suggestions, so I find and again, I'm not I'm not trying to come at anybody who really likes this comic. And I'm sorry if you suggested this because you like it, and and here I am. Well, but, I, I feel like certain things that are weird to us at our current age would not be weird to a reader who was, say, 14. Yeah, but I mean, Matt, think about all the comics from, like, 1988 that we've read and love. Sure, but we've also read those 20, 30 years ago. But like I read, I read Suicide Squad as an adult. I read most of JLI as an adult. Okay, Flash. Yeah, fair. Like, I, I, and those I are do, comics that I can go back to. Those comics hold up. I do feel like though one of the breaking things for us reading this book at the age we are, because we know also who the guy writing it is, <laughs> is that Kitty's fifteen. But if we were fifteen reading this book or fourteen, we wouldn't care about that. We'd yeah, be like, I mean, yeah, like, Kitty's going on an adventure, and she's my age. Yes. So I think that is something to be aware of. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I There's one thing that I think sums up my feelings on Excalibur. Okay. Look at the cover, Matt. Look at the cover of any of these issues. Yeah. I'm looking the, at them. The logo is a sword. Uh-huh. And then there's two more swords. They're the X. And also the name of the book is a sword. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, Pick no- one. A uh, notable thing, um, the, that logo gets destroyed on the cover of issue 49. And then on issue 50, it's a new logo. Does it get like the boring X-Men logo? It gets the... It gets a more standard X Men yeah. style logo. In it gets the, the logo to match it up with the rest of the line. Yeah. yeah. Which look, I don't mind a book having a having a, a distinctive logo. I'm just saying that's too many swords for the logo. Just like this book has too many swords, metaphorically and literally, <laughs> happening in it. 
All right, we'll be back with the last 15 issues of the Chris Claremont written part of Excalibur in April. Will we like those issues more? I'm not sure. Matt, I don't want to. I mean, we're going to. Do we have to, though? Weirdly, Alan Davis does even fewer of those issues, though. So, don't know about that. But there are some good there's some good fill-in artists. Like we got Barry Windsor Smith in here. We've got uh uh you know, some good ones. There's some non-Claremont written issues in here too. We might skip those. Who who wrote them? Um there's one Lobdell issue. Michael McGinnis. Or no, I'm sorry. Michael Higgins writes twenty. Looks like Colleen Doran maybe wrote one. Okay, well that would be That one's probably pretty good. Yeah. So, okay, so so number twenty, right? Twenty is not a uh a a Chris Claremont issue. Yeah. So do we do we read twenty or no? Michael Higgins is the writer of that one. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll read it and I'll let you know if you have to read it. <laughs> oh, Matt, Matt, twenty is a fill in issue. Twenty one is another part of the cross timekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I, I'm tapping. <laughs> 22 is part of the cross time caper. <laughs> Fucking 23 cross time caper. Uh, Holy God almighty. It goes up through number 25. Look, we committed to this and we're going to stick with it. Uh, <laughs> why? We're going to, we're going to do it. The the cover to twenty five says the cross time caper is still over. Yeah, look at uh look at page one of twenty five, please. All right, I'm looking. Look it's real close at at the faces. Taking on this page. taking a second to open because the Marvel app on a browser, Marvel Unlimited on a browser, takes a minute. Okay, those aren't great. Yeah. That's it's not great. Um, it looks like well, it looks like it's from a Tick comic. Yep. All right, let's finish this episode of Comics Catch Up. Hey, if you love Excalibur, I'm sorry. I like it. I like it pretty well. We'll be back in April, as I said, with more Excalibur issues, and then we'll do another poll and we'll read something else. We should do. We should make sure to do something non-Marvel next time. Okay. Or at the very least, non X book. We'll do. I'll. I'll do a poll of only non Marvel books next time. Okay. Just people were really excited about Kenny X Force and Excalibur, <laughs> which is why I'm apologizing. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. See you in April, everybody. These comics catch up specials are made possible by our by your support on Patreon. Head over to Patreon.com/slash/WarlockAndAjax to kick in a little bit of money to make these keep happening, so we can I don't know talk shit about stuff you like. Um, later. Bye. Good catching up. Good catching up, everybody.